This is the Land Legacy Podcast, brought to you by Whitetail Properties Real Estate. We're your hosts, Adam Keith. And Matt Dye. This is your weekly resource for habitat management, wildlife management, and recreational real estate. We hope you guys enjoy the show. Hello, all of you habitat enthusiasts, wildlife managers, die-hard timber stand improvers, and you trappers out there in the world. Matt Die, I'm speaking to you on that one. Yes, sir. <laughs> Mr. Experience over here the last couple of weeks. Yeah. You know what you're going to get yourself into, I promise you that. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I I don't know how much. Basically, Matt, when you get around Matt, he he's got a certain fragrance about himself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Needless to say, <clears throat> there are more skunks that live in close proximity to my house than I ever would have imagined, or maybe is that, maybe I, lived is a better as a better say, that, that sounds present tense. You mean past tense? Yeah. Past. Past tense, yeah. It's it's you did not want to be downwind of of the the house, the um, let's say fifteen acres around the house for the last two weeks. I can promise you that. It's it's you keep telling me, and I'm just like, my goodness. So it seems you know. Last time I was over there, we shot a couple of quick videos, and uh, we walked by a spot. And I went, whew. And you're like, yeah, we got one right here two nights ago or whatever it was. And it was just like, holy cow. Yeah. Um, I can remember there's a, I remember the cabin that's actually part of the uh, part, part of the original piece that Chad and I bought having a lot of skunks and it kind of like whenever the guy that owned it or owns it would come up and stay for very long and the skunks were really strong. He would just smell like a skunk. I haven't <laughs> noticed that about you. I made the joke earlier, but, um, you know, I, I I guess for the people that are like, whoa, whoa, you didn't, you don't talk trapping a lot. You've got chickens and ducks that get you let them out most days, and it's like, man, there's the amount of predators that have come around this winter, and it seems like with the skunks, it's like you kill one, and and now you got a stinky, a stinky skunk that's attracting more skunks, and so it's just well, like overwhelming. That's the thing about it being February. You drive up and down the road right now, regardless. It is. Uh, it's mating season, so skunks are traveling, and uh, any type of scent, they are just investigating. So, right, if if you trap one, it's successful, and it's February, um, get ready, because there's more coming to investigate that smell and stench, and that has proven to be to be true. And no, don't typically do much trapping at all, but uh, hadn't, hadn't noticed a lot of presence in and around the chicken coop and duck coop, and um one thing led to another and and there there's a lot of small predators that have been removed in a very very short amount of time it's kind of overwhelming to to look at that and say wow this is not necessarily the case um across the entire landscape right there's a big attraction and scent from chicken coop and duck coop um right here at the house but it is kind of one of those situations of you never really know exactly how many there are until you start actually trapping yeah now you were seeing a bunch of them on camera too ran yes i mean i 
I have a outdoor video camera system, security system, and yeah, I was was seeing a lot, noticing a lot, and and specifically um, even some bobcat activity. Really trying to get into the coops, and that was the the start of it. Um, but it's been. It's not just even this February, though, either when it comes to the skunks. Um, <laughs> it's really been the last year and a half since we moved in. It's like just an exorbitant amount of skunks. Hmm. Interesting. And that's what, like, I, I know you talked about all of the <clears throat> camera. That's what I find, like, funny with our place, Adam. Besides coyotes, do you see many other many other predators at all on camera i mean given the handful of raccoons that seem to show up passing through not not consistent at all and then a couple of bobcats that are really uh one in particular yesterday popped up on camera and i actually went to look at the trapping regs to see if it was still bobcat season pretty dude he was like a i mean we're talking western cat dots all the way up his belly it looked like i mean beautiful looking cat big cat too probably kills 50 turkeys a year by my calculations based on social media research camera calculations (laughs) yep and so uh every time i see him that's pretty sure he's got feathers in his mouth um that's now yeah we don't it's just you know coyotes a lot but i don't notice many others Certainly not skunks. I remember growing up having a few run-ins with skunks, but nothing seems like nothing compared to what you're experiencing out there. Yeah, and, and it's weird because it's like for every for every ten skunks catch a coon or a possum, and it's like how 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 is it that dense or that rich with with skunks? But um, you know, you typically think of possums and raccoons being so prevalent. Or, or at least seeing them pretty often visually on the road or mm-hmm. on cameras. But um, I don't know if it's just the right that we're right in the crosshairs or what. But um, yeah, it's been pretty nuts. Yeah. Hmm. Well, we want to talk about something we've covered a little bit on the podcast um, as far as what we had um, going on over the last 12 months on the woodlands. Um, and we didn't really plan on covering it, I guess a whole lot until we mentioned it. And we've had several guys reach out wanting us to cover it more. And that's on forestry management plans, um, specifically in natural resource conservation, um, forestry management plans for cost share opportunities. So, um, we enrolled the, uh, the woodlands into a forestry management plan application, which um, generally uh, they ask you to, you have to hire somebody, a forester, but there are certain things that um, you can do. And fortunately they approved Chad and I to write it ourselves. Um, Chad carried most of the workload on that um, with his experience. And so uh, we wrote forestry management, which sounds very boring, but that's, you know, we're really getting the nitty gritty of, of what the forest management plan and the long-term projection of, of what the woodlands will look like based on the forest management plan that we wrote and, uh, and how drastically different we're looking to shape the forest on our farm. Um, 
and and you know looking at it five years ago versus what it's going to look like 10 years from now it won't even look like the same property so we want to discuss forest management plan and the different steps and features of that um, that hopefully can be of good use for the listeners out there you know you, you mentioned the forestry management plan is boring and and in a sense, the like meat of it could be boring because there's a lot of numbers and a lot of just stats. But to me, the most exciting thing of it was, you know, part of this farm has been logged a while. <clears throat> and we've, I mean, I guess a while, but what, five years, something like that, six years? Yeah. Long Started enough, logging six years ago. We've we've looked at it long enough knowing what we wanted to do, but we were waiting on the cost share money and we couldn't get cost share to TSI it until we had the forestry management plan. So that was the exciting part of the forestry management plan is getting that knowing we're going to be able to start that process. Yeah. I, I think, um, you know, and when we're talking about the, uh, cost share opportunities in RCS cost share opportunities or state cost share opportunities. You know, we encourage a lot of our, our uh, clients to look into it, whether it just be CRP enrollment, pollinator enrollment, um, CSP, and then the endless amounts of equip different programs. And so we've utilized a lot of those over the years and uh, the forest management plan felt like a really, you know, an easy one because yeah, a lot of our clients have done CSP, Conservation Stewardship Program, cost share opportunities, which are some of the, the best ones if you're trying to get into those. Um, but you have to have a forestry management plan if you had forested acres. And so for us, you know, that's kind of long term. And we wanted to we wanted to really use this as a template to help with uh, help our clients understand, you know, different different programs and different things. And so um as we enrolled in the FMP and we got approved, we started the process. Now, this is where it gets exciting for us because um, we're talking about some major change, but ultimately inventorying the farm and uh, looking to improve the habitat, utilizing FMP and cost share opportunities. So um, real quick, Chad, um, do you want to run down? First off, Matt really wanted to hit this topic, so we're going to jump into that and then we'll, then I'll address you, Chad. But Ultimately, we want to, before we start this, a forestry management plan is not like the plan that you would receive from Land and Legacy. A forestry management plan does not replace a habitat consultation slash deer advice or whatever you want to call different consulting um, things. A habitat management plan that we write from Land and Legacy looks nothing like the forestry management plan that you would typically get through an NRCS office. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's a really strong point to make because I think a lot there's a lot of landowners out there who who've reached out to um, local PLCs or the NRCS um, and and worked with them to try and create a a plan and then say, well, I've got a forestry management plan, and that is that is good, but the way and the nature that those are created is is to promote, let's say distinct goals written by a forester um, that that heavily is skewed to the the forestry side of things. And so there's generally a disconnect 
um, between the overall goals of the way it's written and the implementation of it. Let's say most times in our recommendations and revolving around timber management, we're going to be more aggressive than most foresters would be. Um, but then also a plan that we are going to do and provide are, is going to talk heavily on prescribed fire, heavily on old field management, if applicable, um, discuss food plots, discuss um, CRP, screening cover, um, if there's any type of soft mass, like so many other elements that a forestry plan is not going to cover regarding wildlife and the resources that they really need. Um, and I think too, the way you guys, we'll get, I guess we'll get into this, but like generally units wise, um, the, the detail that we provide or the diversity that we're trying to create on the landscape is not going to be captured in a typical forestry management plan revolving around or centered around the production of trees and timber. Where the, the diversity, if you look at maps, like it's just kind of apples and oranges. Would you say that's accurate, Adam? Yeah, I would say that if we had to write our habitat plans like this forestry management plan, we would get 10 of them a year, most likely. Now, I'm sure we would get much faster, but the workload that in, involved with the forestry management plan is superior than the workload of our habitat consulting plans, which doesn't say that our that they're superior. It just means that, as Chad will break down later, like we're talking about stands and stands of timber and um, what's the other term I'm, I'm looking for, Chad? Points, plots. Oh, plots. Plots timber and plots. timber plots and inventory stands. Inventory plots is what they were. And then going and in inventorying the the height of the trees, the trees around these these points. I mean, well, ideally, for somebody interested in in what you guys are doing, the ideal is a, is to have this forestry management plan and use it in conjunction with your with your plan no doubt because that's essentially what we're doing i mean we've yeah. made this a map for our place wildlife minded and then we had to make this separate map for the forestry management plan that was based on essentially timber management now the yeah. forestry management plan can be aimed at wildlife like sure. it can be more wildlife minded than timber management and and that's what you know we got to write it ourselves um i don't think that's even a possibility now i think they've gotten rid of that that's right um, i forgot about that he he told now, us that just last month and so so that's where when you have a forester come to write this forestry management plan you really have to be upfront with your goals from the start and you know we we've, we've had buddies that have have had forestry management plans done that still, you know, there's still a strong mindset in the timber world of don't burn hardwoods. Yeah. I mean, you still have that. We've got buddies that came to us like, hey, what should I have in there? You're going to want fire. And then they got their forestry management plan, didn't have fire. So then had to go back to the forester and say, hey, I want fire in this because you have to have that in order to get paid cost share to burn. Yeah. And I think I, that's I one thing with our goals Real quick, our habitat goals are not the same as our timber management goals for the forestry management plan because our habitat goals are, you know, diversify the farm, 
of native species for native plants and animals um, to use natural disturbances to improve the ecosystem. Um, trying to think of some other goals, maximize wildlife carrying capacity um, while also working in conjunction with the cattle operation. Um, I think that would, I, I, I you know, I, I want to see quail and I want to see turkeys and I want to see deer. Um, but I want to see summer tanagers just as equally uh, on the landscape. I want to see bobolinks migrate through. I want to see monarch butterflies. I want to see all that stuff. Um, that would be, you know, wildlife management goals. Timber management goals. Chad, do you want to kind of, hey, you wrote the plan, so what exactly do we line out in our timber management goals? I mean, uh, honestly, a lot of... Oh, Matt's got something he wants to say. Go ahead, Matt. Real, real quick, I was just going to say, I know someone's thinking, what comes first? A wildlife plan from you guys or a forestry management plan? Like, which one should you have first? And and I think a well-developed wildlife plan should come before a forestry management plan prepared for the by a forester for the landowner because this is our plan or a similar plan, let's say, from a wildlife side is going to capture most of the landowners that we're talking to on this podcast, their objectives and their goals. And that is then going to provide additional um, value, additional understanding that the forester can apply just how diverse you're trying to make a farm in relation to your wildlife goals. So then he can build a plan and make recommendations on how to manage the forest, the, the timber components, um, you know, with regard to that wildlife plan that's been prepared ahead of time. I've seen other well, cases where management plan has been done ahead of time and it kind of can pigeonhole you a little bit sometimes. Yeah. For, for most people, if they're just getting like if they've done neither and haven't even moved towards either, it's going to be just by default to have a wildlife management plan before a forestry management plan, because it takes it. The sign up takes a while to get approved for the forestry management plan, getting a forester to do it, depending upon your area, there could be a, a limited amount of foresters to even write the plan. So mm-hmm. it could be, you could be a year or two out from getting a forestry management plan. So just by default, you'd probably want the wildlife one anyway. And then... Especially if you're thinking about logging because it's easier to log and then do the forestry management plan than it is to do the forestry management plan, then log. Yeah. Well, and, and not to mention, if you do the wildlife management plan with you guys, it's one of those, they've already got an outline for the wildlife management plan when the forester comes in. Yeah. And right. if the forester has any questions, they can talk to you guys and say, hey, we want fire deer. We want yeah. This. And did I say log? I meant high grade. Before before <laughs> we, we started logging or before we did the FMP, we wanted to high grade our farm because we cut yeah, timber. Right. And that's the obvious thing to that's do, right? Of a forestry management plan if you don't high grade first. <laughs> I, can't high, oh, yeah. I can't high grade my timber if I have a forestry management plan in place. <laughs> if you high grade it first, there's nowhere to go but up. Yeah, that's, that's right. what I'm saying. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I mean, that is a very strong point because I run across that um, scenario often. It's like, hey, you know, if we're coming into a wildlife plan, 
you know, develop a plan and they see there's a lot of timber value is, hey, it's going to be easier, um, less strings attached if you go ahead and will help make some recommendations, guidance, but hire a forester to accomplish a harvest with with regards to that wildlife plan we've outlined that does cover timber management, but do it this way, then come back and write that forestry management plan. And it's going to be a little bit more seamless um, of, of action items, let's say, that can be accomplished with, again, less strings attached. Um, so wildlife plan, log, forestry management plan, or wildlife plan, then forestry management plan, if you don't have timber value to then be log. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So some of those uh, timber management goals, Chad. I mean, uh, honestly, our timber management goals weren't that different from our wildlife goals. Yeah. Just a stronger emphasis on timber. I think we said that we wanted to um, restore natural ecosystems such as woodlands, glades, and savannas. We wanted to um, promote um, diversity within the understory. Uh, and mid-story yeah, of our forest. Timber stand. Um, yep. That was something we lacked. We had a very unhealthy timber stand. Um, and promote oak regeneration was a big one. Yeah. I think that was about it. We, yeah. Ours were pretty simple as far as timber management goals. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the biggest thing that we probably have and and really, unap- I, I bet in, if you look at the forestry management plan, of ours versus some of the others um, written by foresters is you'll see a very low emphasis on future timber harvest um, from the standpoint of we kind of have grown to accept and frankly advise people to not try to grow timber and focus on timber growth in areas that are only going to be poor quality timber anyway, when you could have phenomenal habitat and decent timber and healthy trees, but not expecting to drag out $50,000 or more or whatever veneer quality timber um, on our landscape because we just are not in a part of the world that grows high quality timber. We don't, you know, we don't grow that tall of trees in comparison to some of the eastern states and northern states. I mean, you look, you and Chad, when we were doing ours, there was times where it was like, here's a a you know a 24 dbh northern red that's only 73 foot tall when we could hop over in kentucky or tennessee and it's pushing close to 100 when when you actually look at timber heights like when you've spent a lot of time measuring tree heights you know i can remember when i actually was a timber marker and would go to nashville to the nwtf show you know you drive across there and you start looking out across the landscape there and you're like gosh look how tall those trees are yeah. you don't have anything like that no so you're talking you just talking realize one log versus three or more out of some of those yeah. trees the farther east that you go and north yeah, yeah. it's and, it's ridiculous and so like oh for us it was like thin the timber and burn we're not going to try to strong arm timber into being productive and thinking that we're going to have a a major timber harvest 50 years from now, it's kind of like, you know, there'll be future timber harvests. There's no doubt, but the biggest goal is a healthy ecosystem that's providing adequate habitat. Um, And and that's not saying like, I mean, we're looking at it stand by stand. We've got the South and West facing slopes that like 
our area is not not made for growing great timber the south and west facing slopes especially yeah they're they're not going to be productive so we just know that and we're going to manage those for woodland restoration then you get to the north and east facing slopes those probably were more wet they didn't burn the same we might manage those a little more like we're managing for timber but it's just the nature of that north and east facing ecosystem if you will that 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 type of natural community that is more more shaded a little more wooded mm -hmm. yeah i mean you can go from one of our ridges and you can go you can go on one side and find yellow lady slipper one of our na native orchids and then you can hop less than 100 foot over and be on borderline savanna slash glade and be like whoa this is i mean you go from a from a wet footed you know, kind of a moist soil walk just 100 foot over the ridge and get on the west side and be like wow this is hot and dry here and uh yeah. that's the difference in our farm we're talking 300 400 foot elevation change um lots of different slope aspects and going okay we want to restore whatever in this forest management plan so we've covered kind of the difference between our wildlife management goals versus our forestry management plan goals they're not that different but one has obviously a strong emphasis on timber or forest management and so let's let's, let's talk that, oh. well i was going to say that's a good a good way to kind of go into some of this forestry management plan and how we did it you talk about the differences in a hundred yards on the place that's one of those to me one of the benefits of having that would have been to having a smaller property compared to the acreage that we have, it would have been as, as we went through the forestry management plan, I, I saw where I don't know that we could have completed it in double the time that we got it done. If we'd have broken it down into the detail of stand level that I would like to have done, like looking back on it, I see where we had stands that were just say east facing. We could have broken those down into every little finger of a south facing that we did more woodland restoration management instead of having bigger chunks. Our, broken our stands down into smaller pieces and gotten even more detailed in our diversity. Like we could yeah. have had even more diversity in that, but just in this in the nature of the beast where we had such a large acreage to do ourselves we kind of had to break it up a little bigger than we would have than i would have liked in a very short timeline we we <laughs> procrastinated and made this very difficult on ourselves especially you it, it, but it's kind of the way it's worked we've kind of played you know carry the torch because uh the year prior we were doing all this fence work and we had deadlines to get the exclusion <laughs> fences done and i was building a lot of it and it was just like, oh, my gosh, am I going to get this done? Am I going to get this done? Am I going to get this done? And then the forest management plan rolls out, and you're like, oh, my gosh, am I going to get this done? Am I going to get this done? Am I going to get this done? So we've made it. Pushing every deadline we've had. Oh, my goodness, yeah. Even the soil, you know, we did the water wells and, and tanks, um, tire tanks, and we pushed it right to the very end on that one as well. So, But on this forest management plan, you know, let's let's try to simplify this for our listeners to understand. And and I use a lot of this forestry management plan on our consults that we do in explaining 
the observations and the and the things we can learn from our forest through the way we enter in this um, the forest management plan information. And I think one of the biggest takeaways for me is, you know, let's just say you identify, and and this is a you know a little plug here for some of the elite tools on OnX. Um, I I absolutely love the Terrain X feature on OnX. And what is the Terrain X? I've talked a little bit about it, but if you're trying to look at your farm and understand maybe where the north slopes are versus the south slopes or the west slopes or the east slopes this is an amazing tool because you can set your elevation that you want to see so like let's just say you wanted to see 1100 foot to 1300 foot on your place and you only wanted to see south facing slopes you can see it um that's a huge win um like i'm i'm working on a on a map in oklahoma right now and if i if I'm like trying to uh, show the south facing slopes at, you know, any from in his elevation, I just anything south, you, you can look and see like, whoa, okay, there's a pretty good, uh, a pretty good mix. And then you look at west slopes, you guys can't see my screen, but if you look, it's like, okay, the west side of the farm is where the west slopes are. And the east side of the farm, basically if you're comparing you go okay west slopes is very limited on this farm in comparison to east slopes and south slopes um and it's just you get to kind of play with those features on terrain x on on x and you start kind of seeing especially if you're laying out bedding areas or you're laying out trying to do more woodland restorations or savanna restoration you're like well i want to hit my south slopes first you can find those relatively easy on that terrain x feature um I screenshotted a, uh, those basically the difference between the north and south facing slopes and incorporated into a recent plan for a client because just the differences in strategy and the ways that those would be managed on his place specifically was, was kind of a night and day scenario. So to see that composition of one slope versus the other or the amount of them and the acreage, it's kind of like goes back to what Chad, you said earlier of just the best use for each acre regarding the slopes and in the geography, the um, the amount of sunlight, the dryness of the slope, like there some of those Southwest slopes for you guys, it's not gonna grow timber. So immediately you can just kind of pull that out of a long-term timber growth harvesting type scenario and say ecological function, boom, apply here. Um, so it's, it's a really cool tool. Yeah, no doubt. Um, I think one of the big things for us in, in trying to look at, um, just the overall, okay, taking the steps into forestry management plan is the, the big takeaway for me was looking at the three levels of a forest where you're at. Um, and those being overstory, the mid story and the understory. And I don't think ever since our forestry management plan that I haven't brought this up in a um, on a consult. And so what I mean by that is for each person listening to this, next time you're on your farm and you want to say, okay, what are those guys talking about? I want you to go out into your timber. First, I want you to try to identify 
what that timber is. Is that an oak hickory forest or is it a, a maple forest? Is it a what what kind of what's the composition? So look at the overstory. Okay, I'm on a south slope. I'm in the Ozarks, and the overstory is white oak, specifically white oak and chinkapin oak and black oak and a couple of blackjacks. And then, okay, so I don't even see hickories here, but the overstory is 90% oak. Now let's look at the midstory. Well, we go from majority oak in the overstory to now less than 25% of the midstory is oak, and that's actually cedar, sassafras, flowering dogwood. Well, that's strange. What's the understory? There is no oak understory. So there's no oak regeneration. It is coralberry, sassafras, flowering low bush, dogwood. Lowbush blueberry. And lowbush blueberry. And so you, you think about that, and I think that's, to me, the most shocking thing in saying, okay, imagine a big grapple came in and just yanked all the overstory out. Just like that snap your fingers that fast let's say it's disease and it just knocks out the or a tornado what's going to be replacing that overstory if it's oak hickory forest you hope that it stays oak hickory forest but when you look and you really start kind of laying out a plan and saying okay um you know the next step the next rung of the ladder the next generation is not oak and there's very few actually and then when you go to the understory you realize holy cow there is no oak and you can see why these people these organizations are kind of starting to hit the panic button for people to say we need to start doing something or 50 years from now there's going to be very little oak white oak you know we're going to have to figure out something else to use use to make our whiskey barrels um something what was that White Oak Coalition? You guys interviewed them last year at the NWT. The White Oak Initiative. The White Oak Initiative. Like, you know, they're they're kind of trying to raise awareness over the fact that a lot of our oak hickory forests are not projected to be oak hickory forest in the future. Um, and, and I think to me, the whole forest management process, that was the big thing to learn was you can go to each, you can just step out anywhere and just look at the forest and try to figure out what the future looks like because it's kind of like looking at a grandpa and the and the the son and then the grandson and being like, okay, this is it. And, uh, you know, um, whatever, whatever, like I, I'll just use a common today analogy and say grandpa's a farmer, son hates the farm, and grandson don't even – he doesn't they live in town and city the chances of the grandson being a farmer is very slim um and the chances of your forest being an oak hickory forest if there's no oak hickory in the mid story and there's no oak hickory in the understory you better get to work yeah this is well, this is a situation i think a lot of people they don't know that they're in but if they do what you suggest and, and start to evaluate, um, they're, they're going to get a shock to the system when they realize the future of the forest is, is really bleak on their property. And it may not be, let's say, goals for producing 
giant timber that they have. But regardless, we should be caring about what's happening and to be observing what's happening and the wildlife value of the drier, more open sunlight areas in an understory are very important from a deer forage, deer cover standpoint too. Yeah. No doubt. Uh, I'm... One, one important point with that going in and looking at your timber stand. One, one thing to remember too, is you can't go at one spot within that timber stand and yeah. decide the whole thing from that one. You need an average across that stand. I mean, that's what, that's what in this forestry management plan you get into. That's where the, the inventory plots, when you identify all your stands, it's just like, it's just like doing soil samples in a field. You don't go into, into a field or a food plot or whatever and take one soil sample, send it off for the whole field. You get an estimate across the whole thing. And it's the same way with the stands. There's a certain, a certain number of, of inventory plots that you take across that stand to get an average so you can see an average of the overstory, the, the midstory, and the, un and the understory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you can't cherry pick one area and say, oh, this is a great stand. And then you go to the rest of the stand and it's junk. Yeah. How much, you know, Chad, if you were a forester coming to our farm, having no ties, no bias, no love for the land, what would be your overall analysis of the, of the current state of the, of the farm? Like right now? Let's say previously to the logging and now and then current pre-high grade our, <laughs> our place <laughs> uh junk we'll, we'll go with uh junky to quite junky <laughs> yeah 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 i mean that's fair you, you have it across we had very little regeneration some areas had regeneration but it was far past the needing the next management, needing thinning, needing like a pre-commercial thin to really release or a crop tree release, or I guess a, just a release of that stand. They were overstocked severely to the point of, of uh, weeding each other out. Um, mm -hmm. It was either that or it severely over mature. I mean, that's the, that was the majority of our plays. So, so you either had overmature black oaks that were dying or, you know, not in great shape, deteriorating to stuff that was cut 40 years ago and not burned, not thin, not anything, and just horribly overstocked. Yeah. And I, I got they, a lot of those were as hollow as the overmature stuff. Yeah. And they're only in to paint a picture. Some of the big stuff look great. You know, there was a lot of big black oaks at 20 plus DBH. And you're like, oh, wow. But you cut into them. You're like, whoop, hollow, doty, junk. Great. Not much value. And then you go to the, some of the ridge tops that were easy to log 40 years ago or whenever it was they did it. And you cut those trees down. You're like, hollow, even though it, it was an 8-inch DBH tree. Uh, there's spots on this farm. Matt's spent a lot of times on the tree. There are spots where we hang in trees that are, I don't even know the word, terrible, tiny, scraggly. Less than ideal. Yeah, less than ideal. That's and, a nice way of putting it. A lot of those, in a lot of those stands like that, if you would have had a 
a little management 10 years after it was cut, we'd have had a great timber sale this time. Yeah. Like a great timber sale. If we were just managing it for timber. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we don't, we don't. If you would have had management or or your guys grasp on it years ago and influence um, and your goals were timber management, it was at the, the stocking rate that obviously at this point was way too much, but it was at a point where you could have maximized the stocking density of it and had some phenomenal growth out of those trees. And like I said, had a fantastic harvest. Like there were so many trees way back when, then they all just grew just slow, that stagnant type growth. Um, like it was, it could have been good, but you didn't have the farm then. Didn't no. have farm. And we were just very green, very young. So, um, I mean, if it's harvested 40 years ago, shoot, I wasn't even on this planet yet. So, yeah. um, but at the same, Chad wasn't either, but he's getting close. He was right there ready. Um, <laughs> so, uh, um, I would say, uh, for, for now, you know, I see, I, I see a lot of farms in a year and I would still bet that portions of our farm are some of the worst that I have walked. I've seen some pretty bad stuff. Fortunately, we don't have the invasives that a lot of people do, but as far as timber quality, overstocked, unhealthy, I'm in the, I'm in the top, we're in the top 10%, baby. I, I believe that wholeheartedly from what I've seen. It's some of our ridge tops are very poor you know, to the point where you think, well, we'll just thin it. We're just going to go into a mid-story thinning and hack and squirt a bunch of these. I'm scared to drop any herbicide in those trees to kill oaks because I'm afraid a lot of the roots are bonded together, fused together underneath. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we may have to do a lot of girdling and, and just double girdling or just cry. we're kind of in that dilemma because if we cut them down, if we try to do a lot of cutting, there's going to be times where it's hard to cut the trees down. Then we're going to have to do so double girdling, but they're close to a fire line. So it's just like, it's not ideal. How about, how about a, if that's a fear or a worry, a phased entry, obviously I think now you guys have a timeline with, with the forestry manager planning, some cost share TSI things that you have to get it done at a certain time frame, But is there a scenario in which you could go in if ideally you want to use some herbicide from a speed of things, go in, do an initial very like a lighter phase one, see if there is additional kill, kind of like buffer it so you don't thin it past the point you that you need to, and then reevaluate in six weeks after you see some kill and then say, hey, we have X amount more to go back in and hit these acres again. And then maybe drop some more of those, but kind of let's say ease your way into the herbicide usage so you don't blast too much right out of the gate. Yeah. And part of the deal with ours, some a lot of our stuff is so overstocked, it's not even possible to get it. We can't thin it down to the ideal basal area. We, we're going to have to take out a 40BA, which is the heavy TSI. You really don't want to take much more than that at a time. 
you don't want to go in to some of this stuff has a hundred and a hundred and thirty, hundred and forty basal area. It's very, so very thick. Why would you not want to do that? Explain that for someone listening to go too heavy, too fast in a hardwood stand. For one thing, you can sun shock trees. A lot of those you can sun shock them and kill them because they're not used to being that standalone. When they're that thick, a lot of times they're dependent upon each other. Um, you take you take that many trees out and you're, you can end up with some um, wind damage. They're very susceptible to that. You know, and we've seen some on the edges of our food plots where we, where we go in and push the food plots. You have some of those that have, have grown up in a very thick condition. And then we take, they're right on the edge of the food plot. They hang out into the food plot because they don't have that support. Look they like a spaghetti with, noodle. Yeah, they yeah. grow up with the support of the other trees, and then you take that tree out. They don't have anything there, and they start, they just lay over. So you really, and you, you end up, if you take out too much and give too much daylight, you end up with a lot of brush, a lot of hardwood saplings um, that are harder to manage with fire. So, like, some of our stuff is, was, was already thinned down, the, the more mature stuff it was closer to the ideal range. So we'll be able to just thin it, do a woodland restoration and, and manage with fire. But some of them, some of our stands were so thick, what we're gonna have to do is take a 40 out, reassess, do, do that, and probably end up being able to come back with another timber sale in 15 years, possibly dependent upon the growth and thin it down to then more use that timber sale to get it down to more what we want. Yeah. Timber stand improvement to a high grade back to a timber stand improvement. Ha yeah. ha ha. Right. You know, yeah. um, timber stand improvement. And I'll, I'll add something to that outside of the natural effects of cutting away more than 40 basal area is also, since we are enrolled in a, forest management plan and we're doing the NRCS cost share, they won't cost share more than a 40 basal area removal. So if you're sitting at 130, you can't get below a 90, even though it may register, it may look like a woodland, it may need, or it may need to be a woodland. And we're trying to get it down to 70. We're going to have to take it in steps to get there. So that's another big reason why we can't, because for us, what we're, what our goal is to, to uh, TSI around 30 to 50 acres a year, and then burn an additional, you know, burn that area and, and kind of start working on a staggering effect across the landscape. So every year we've got TSI units to do um, and then burning to do. And over time, we'll get the place whipped into shape. Yep. One of the big things I think for us in this forestry management plan is is trying to restore the native ecosystem, as I mentioned earlier, is one of our big parts of the goal. So there's some of our north and east slopes that are sitting on a 130-ish BA, and we're only going to get them down to a 90 um, because we want it to be backslope forest. We want it to be closed canopy forest because that's what it was historically at. It was supposed to be big oaks, and you know those are great places to find turkeys strutting in the spring. Those are great places to find turkeys in the winter eating acorns. Um, those are great places to find deer bedding in the summer in the cool, the cool north slopes with the breeze blowing through. But if it's a west slope or a south slope, 
chances are it's not going to look anything like a closed canopy forest. And that is where some of the biggest change for us will happen as we're doing some um, what major woodland restoration, trying to drop this, drop the BA down to a, a point that I don't know of another farm in the neighborhood that's got anything like it. Yeah. And so like, like the steps of the forest management plan, you, you kind of, we've kind of, tiptoed into some of it here and there um you identify the stands we've identified the stands according to um tree species composition the slope um the aspect all of that then go through and do these inventory plots um uh, measuring the the dbh of the tree the basal areas the trees per acre um more looking at the composition of each stand. And then we went through looking at web soil survey, getting the um, side index to then kind of compare what, what we have on the ground to what it should be. And in using that, then we're working on these um, management goals timber-wise. No doubt. No doubt. And so that's where it's played in, where we have some of these stands that are really, really high stock still after a thinning. We're looking at the side index and it's like, okay, this thing needs to be a lot lower BA than what it is, but we can only take out so much. Or this one, this is an east-facing slope. It's got a little better side index. This one, we probably don't want to thin as hard. This one, we want to leave a little heavier. This one that's going to have more of the white oak component, more of the northern red. It's going to have better trees. And that's what, like, our goal in those, those type areas, we're not thinning them down. We're going to leave those a little more open underneath, a little more um, shaded. A lot of those areas are, are our uh, roosting areas. I mean, I walked through some of them the other day, and a, and a lot of those areas on our farm are too steep to even cut much out of. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a great point about the roosting because, you know, you think of some of those areas that we have that are, uh, you know, when you've got a, uh, boulders the size of a truck that are uh, laying just all over the ground, and then you have uh, big trees, like those are prime right on the crest of a hill, right off the edge of the of the big ridge. That's a, Those are prime spots. So, um you know, I'm looking forward to this project. This is going to be, you know, we're playing the marathon here. This is going to take a lot of years to to work out. But for our listeners, you know, some of the big takeaways for you is to look at your forest in three layers. Look at your forest in the overstory, midstory, and understory. Try to use web soil survey. Try to look at these tools that are out there to identify what this was historically. And then also just try to look and see, you know, it can be pretty obvious when you're looking at larger trees that, okay, these trees are over a hundred years old and I'm seeing big white oaks. I'm seeing big bur oaks. I'm seeing big hickories. You know, this was an oak hickory forest or I'm seeing big maples and I'm seeing big beech. Okay. And, and the occasional oak, you know, that's, that's what I'd hope to see in the mid story and the understory. And if you're not seeing it, then, you know, it could be due to lack of management, lack of disturbance, many factors. Um, and I think that's where a lot of people are seeing, Oak regeneration is lost is in invasive species that can withstand those uh, overstory forests 
and they're still growing and they're out competing those oaks um, that are trying to grow on the forest floor. So I guess the other, one of the other parts we haven't touched on the benefits of the forestry management plan is we also, I mean, in that forestry management plan, we've also got invasive treatments. Um, oh yeah. Yep. We've recommended that, that in, in doing that in the forestry management plan, we can get cost share to, you know, a lot of the family farm stands are where, where we in years past saw there was no oak regen and went in and cut TSI and opened up the canopy in our, uh, I guess, overzealousness, we opened the canopy up and let a lot of multiple rows go. Yeah. Um, we've now got that in the forest management plan to treat, to treat multiple rows. Um, so we can get cost share to do that. Uh, another one is our, is our roads. Um, we're able to go in and shape. We, we can have cost share to shape and water bar our roads to get them in better shape. You know, after the timber sale, some of them have washed out pretty bad. You, you can include that in the forestry management plan. Not just washed um, out, but rutted up. Yeah. So you can, I mean, write that in the forestry management plan to redo, <laughs> redo a lot of the roads, have a dozer come in and reshape them, um, put, put broad-based dips in to control water to keep them in better shape for years to come. Um, it's also, if we recommend fire in that, then you can get paid to burn on the woodland restoration stuff. Um, mm -hmm. and they, and, and recommend fire line on each of those stands too, to where they pay for the fire line. Um, you know, we had a couple of those stands too, that, I mean, you know, we have the wildlife side in mind, you know, there, there were a couple of those stands that had very little regeneration, very little um, future timber stand in there that hunting wise, we had a goal of having some bedding thickets in there. You know, I wrote it in the forestry management plan to do a couple um, uh Temporary, temporary forest openings to yeah. where we're going to get paid to do temporary forest openings that are essentially our bedding thickets. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think that's where a lot of people are missing out. If they're not looking into these cost share opportunities, um, they can be great. They can be a, a humongous headache as well, but if you can endure it and get through it, it can be a great move for you. Yeah. yeah, I think there's a balance win-win for everyone. It's out there. Go get it if, you, if you're win, willing to, um, you know, partake in this cost share and, and run that run that race. But for you guys, it, it makes sense. Like you're playing the long-term game here. So why not get involved in that? If you're trying to do everything yesterday, then the cost share standpoint may not make the most sense. And you're willing to throw a lot of monetary resources to it, get it done. Go do it. But y'all are sitting in a great position to be able to manage your forest in the way that you want to long term, improve it for wildlife, restore ecosystem function to it, and then maintain it, keeping bases out and burn. That's a fantastic scenario that a lot of other people you have. They have the same option too. everyone listening has that has that option to be in your guys' boat. Um, no doubt. Really take those those same steps. Yep. Absolutely. 
absolutely. And and I, t- I hope, you know, we, we encourage so many of our followers and listeners, clients to, to sign up for these things. I'm working with a guy right now trying to get him enrolled for our listeners. The CRP enrollment just opened up. So guys looking at pollinators, buffer strips, general CRP, go talk to the, your uh, local office and see about getting enrolled. Um, there's all kinds of these opportunities out there in cost share, and uh, we encourage a lot of our guys to use it. Lord knows we pay enough in taxes, so um, it'd be. Did I just make it political? Sorry about that. And uh, no, and you so, just made it American. Say what? No, you just made it American. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I wish that was the case. Um, one other thing, you know, I'm I'm kind of I'm done with the forest management plan. A few guys are. Uh, I was going to hit a few notes. Um, for the guys uh, following, did you guys see our reels recently? Uh, did you guys see where I was? Where's Adam? Where's Waldo reel? You kind of knew it. A lot of people didn't guess it. Didn't even come close. Um, did you see that? The stuff I shared? Uh, the humongous rocks, the Missouri River breaks. I was up in, in uh, near Washington, Missouri. Uh, old Daniel Boone home site uh, up in there. And, uh, that's where I was for the people that saw that and never saw, never figured out where I was. Did you happen to see the reel I posted an hour before this, uh, podcast of the stairway that the guys had built? Um, there was parts of it. I was walking. I'm like, yeah, I don't know what this needed for. Like, I feel more comfortable walking out there. Then we got to a portion fellas where I'm not even kidding you. I'm like, I'm glad you built this thing. Cause there is, you know, We'd have been rolling, tumbling, Chris Farley in our way down that mountain if if it hadn't been there. So right. cool um, there. we are yeah. trying to step up our real game, step up more videos and stuff on social media um, for you guys so you can see right. more of what we talk about. And uh, we appreciate you guys sharing all that stuff and encourage you to share more of it if you feel entitled to. Um, but I'm good, fellas. Yep, appreciate everyone listening. Y'all have a good one. We'll catch you next week.